All right, mateys, we have spent enough time on the sidelines. It's time to get up on that ship, get back on that sail, and on to the next season of SpongeBob SquarePants. And before we set sail for this season, I only have one question for you. Are you ready? No, 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 no. Clearly, you didn't hear what I asked you. Because what I asked you was, Are you ready? gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. Tonight, Captain Eric proudly presents to you the greatest SpongeBob SquarePants podcast in the world! I'm ready, a SpongePod SquareCast. Is this fun or what? As of now, the Krusty Krab is open 24 hours! Did you hear that, Squidward? We get to keep working and working and working without ever having to go home. I gotta pinch myself, because I must be dreaming. Ow! 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 Welcome aboard, and that, ladies and gentlemen, is our brand new theme song composed by Hugh Wagner, an absolutely incredible talent whose information will be in the podcast descriptions moving forward. Uh, And I also want to thank Ian Stone, who helped compose the podcast's outro theme. Both of them are massively talented, and I cannot thank them enough I will certainly use both of them in the future for any of my musical needs. And if you have anything musical that you would like to add to your life, I I cannot implore you enough to reach out to either of them. So all of their information will be in the podcast description. I hope you enjoy the new themes to the show as much as I do. Correct! Today is the start of our journey through the fourth season of SpongeBob SquarePants. And this is where the show is going to start getting exciting for me. We're out of the comfort seasons of the Hillenburg era, the golden era, whatever you want to call it, the first three seasons, that first movie, everything after that for some fans seems to just get pushed to the wayside. It's all trash, they say. And honestly, that's that's not true. That's just not true. There's a lot of gold to be found here, especially in this fourth season. Now, I've seen all of these episodes and there are seasons after this that I haven't seen every single episode of. Um, Unfortunately, during the times where those were airing, I started to get older and my attention was just getting sucked up literally everywhere, just like that alien in Nope. And uh, that might seem like a uh, random reference, but trust me, we'll swing back to that eventually or fly back to it. But as I was getting older, catching every single premiere was becoming less of a necessity and especially took a back seat the second that I knew I was eventually going to make a SpongeBob podcast. I I mean, I had the idea in college, and there wasn't anything written down, and I certainly didn't start anything until years later. But once I knew, hey, eventually I'm going to want to talk about this show in depth, why should I watch every episode now when, at least from a content standpoint, it might be fun to give my first take 
on the podcast and not be an episode that I've seen a thousand times? What does it sound like when I've seen an episode only once and I don't like it or I really like it? I don't know. That's exciting to me. So moving forward, it's going to be really exciting. The fourth season, I have seen every episode of this season, and I'm not bragging about that. You told some of the biggest lines that I've ever heard of in my whole life. But there are episodes of the fourth season that I haven't seen since their initial premiere, so it'll be interesting to go back and watch them. But this first episode is one I've seen plenty of times, and it is a home run right out of the gate for the fourth season of SpongeBob SquarePants, Fear of a Krabby Patty. Now, before we get into the episode, let's quickly take a look behind the scenes of SpongeBob, because with Steven Hillenburg stepping down as showrunner, and who is going to take that mantle? Who is going to take that position, take that ball, and run with it, move the show forward, and continue SpongeBob SquarePants for years to come? That man would be writer Paul Tibbet, whose writing credits are very early in SpongeBob SquarePants history. I'm talking Bossy Boots even earlier than that. I'm talking Nature Pants even earlier than that. I'm talking Ripped Pants. And even earlier than that, I'm talking Tea at the Tree Dome. Paul Tibbet has been associated with SpongeBob SquarePants since its beginning. So it made sense to pass that baton over to someone who you've worked alongside so closely, who knows the show as inside and outside as you do, and it was the right choice. Such a right choice that I had to change up my show behind the scenes to continue with SpongeBob SquarePants and their trends. I, I gotta keep up with the times, and I don't necessarily have a showrunner, so I had to find myself one. And not only did I have to find any showrunner, but I felt like it had to be... Paul Tibbet, but not the Paul Tibbet, because there's no way he's going to go from running the actual show of SpongeBob to running a podcast about him. Correct. So I did the next best thing. I scoured the internet to find another Paul Tibbet who would be willing to be the showrunner for this podcast. I don't necessarily know what he's going to do, but I, I have to keep this energy going. Got to match the same energy of SpongeBob. Paul, how am I doing today? Pretty good. Thank you. All right. <laughs> Paul Tibbet, ladies and gentlemen. Um, not, not the Paul Tibbet from SpongeBob SquarePants, a completely separate one. Came into work today with a smile on his face and a two-day-old tuna sandwich. Don't know where he found that, but uh, thanks for the smile, and uh, and it's just good vibes around here, which are going to be a necessity for today when we are going to talk about fear. And specifically, the fear of a Krabby Patty. The first half of the 61st episode of SpongeBob SquarePants first premiered on May 6th, 2005. Our storyboard director for this episode, making his final appearance for SpongeBob SquarePants, C.H. Greenblatt, who also wrote this episode alongside Paul Tibbet, who is also the supervising producer for this episode as well. Our storyboard artist is Zeus Service, and our animation director is Alan Smart. C.H. Greenblatt injected so much life into SpongeBob SquarePants, and the episodes that he helped work on are unforgettable. Good for your soul. Which, when it comes to C.H. Greenblatt 
and unforgettable. The two are synonymous with one another. He would go on to create Chowder for Cartoon Network before returning to Nickelodeon with Harvey Beaks and is currently running the show Jellystone for HBO Max or for wherever that show ends up after this whole HBO Max thing. And it's just a shame to see whatever's going on over there behind uh, Warner Brothers Discovery. Don't really have much more of a comment on that, but I just know wherever Mr. Greenblatt ends up, it's going to be a fun time. Everything he ends up working on is an absolute blast to watch, and I cannot thank him enough for his contributions to the world of SpongeBob SquarePants. Right out of the gate, I absolutely love this title card that they have. I've made it no secret before that I, I tend to like the horror-themed episodes of SpongeBob SquarePants or the ones that delve into that, that darkness. And this title card sets the stage in such a beautiful way. I, I love what appears to be ketchup coming from the fear part of, of the title card. Although, I mean, your mind might say blood, my mind might say ketchup. What does that say about either of us watching an episode of SpongeBob SquarePants? I don't know, that says more about you than it does me. Uh, but yeah, Fear of a Krabby Patty, right out of the gate, starts with Mr. Krabs changing the business hours of the Krusty Krab uh, to a solid 6 a.m. to 11 p.m. schedule, which gives you exactly seven hours of time away from the Krusty Krab before you're already back at work. And can, please, can somebody call OSHA on Mr. Krabs? 2319! We have a 2319! And if Squidward thought that was bad, things would go from bad to even worse once Mr. Krabs would learn of a new business proposition that Plankton was bringing to the citizens of Bikini Bottom, courtesy of the Chum Bucket. Now, it's not like Plankton can really get any customers for the, I'm guessing, eight hours of, of the day he's normally open, but Mr. Krabs notices that Plankton has opened the chum bucket for a whopping 23 hours. 23 hours of the chum bucket, which I gotta say is probably reasonable. At least you're opening up your, your net a little bit wider, no pun intended. But it's actually an incredibly smart idea for Plankton from a business standpoint, because he's just opening up the possibilities of, of new clientele to come in. During the daytime, no one clearly wants to eat chum, but who knows who's roaming out the streets of Bikini Bottom at night and they're looking for something to eat? Maybe they want some chumbalaya? I don't know. But it's, it's certainly a possibility. But Plankton is not opening up for 23 hours for business reasons. He's doing it as a strategy. Knowing that Mr. Krabs is just going to try to one-up the chum bucket when he doesn't need to. That's the funny part. Is that the chum bucket could be open up for 24 hours itself and the Krusty Krab would still do better business with the 8 or 9 hours they're already open. But Mr. Krabs always wants to one-up Plankton in every single way, so he changes the new business hours of the Krusty Krab from 6 to 11 to 24 hours, which isn't a first for the Krusty Krab. They have been open for 24 hours before, although the last time this happened, Mr. Krabs uh, went back to the coziness of his home and left SpongeBob and Squidward to run the ship. This time, he is committed to staying alongside the ship, being the captain, and working with the rest of the crew 
on a 24-hour, seemingly never-ending schedule. Now, I know I brought up OSHA a little bit earlier as a joke, but I gotta sincerely ask, is there just no governing body to watch over employers underwater? Is there no one? It seems like there are some rules and regulations, but they are not that serious. Maybe everything is just an at-will employment status where your employer can just literally change the rules on you on a day-to-day basis and you just have to roll with them. Maybe it's that, but I don't know. For, For somebody to just come to you and say, hey, we are now never closing and you are never going home if you want to keep this job seems a bit much. Mr. Krabs doesn't outright say that. Although SpongeBob doesn't really want to leave his job. He is really ecstatic at the idea, as he was last time, of of working longer hours. Squidward, on the other hand, stays a lot longer than I would for that kind of situation. But we have already seen Squidward try to work outside of the Krusty Krab, and he just ended up in a box in an alley. So maybe Squidward just accepts that this is the one job he has, and he might as well hold on to it for as long as he can. Now, it is during this 24-hour nonstop period that SpongeBob is at his happiest. He is just singing along to himself, spelling Krabby Patty out. K-R-A-B-B-Y-P-A-T-D-Y says I. Just an absolutely wonderful time, while Squidward has the opposite of that, and Mr. Krabs just acts as the hype man during this during this 24-hour cycle. Now, Plankton, on the other side of this, has implemented an absolutely ingenious plan because it worked. It flat out worked, and it took little to no effort on Plankton's part. He opened up his restaurant for 23 hours, not for the extra business, because, hey, we didn't see any extra fish going into the chum bucket, so Plankton didn't have to lift an extra finger for the 23 hours he was open. But having that happen is what eggs Mr. Krabs on to open up for 24 hours. And during that time, it's Plankton's hope that SpongeBob will break under the pressure of continually working, that eventually he'll be able to take that soft brain of his and squeeze out the Krabby Patty secret formula. And even after 10 days of working nonstop behind the grill, SpongeBob is still ready to go. It's when Plankton the spider bug, who uses a spiderish type costume to spy on SpongeBob, uh, and it's it's funny for what I'm eventually going to talk about, um, but he discovers that this isn't working. SpongeBob is clearly not having any ill side effects of working nonstop at the Krusty Krab, and decides to you know what amp up the pressure. He puts in an order as a Mr. P. Langton for ten thousand Krabby Patties. 10,000 Krabby Patties that weren't paid for up front, which I got to say, as a business, I would I would have to have that. Or at least half of the money up front for me to even begin to work on those burgers. And he doesn't even get to finish them. I think by day 43, he has somewhere near 8,000 done, or that's around the number that we, we last get to hear about before SpongeBob has completely broken his psyche. Now... Let me just put that in perspective. 43 days with no breaks, 24 hours a day. 
That means that Squidward and SpongeBob have stayed awake and worked nonstop for 1,032 hours. I'm not throwing Mr. Krabs into that situation because although we see the ill side effects of staying up for, for a long period of time, we do not necessarily see Mr. Krabs work other than just announcing what day it is. So I'm not going to give him all the credit in the world. Squidward's taking orders at the front, and SpongeBob is fulfilling not only that 10,000 patty order that they get, but also fulfilling every single other order that comes through the restaurant. And after day 43, SpongeBob has cracked. Enough's enough. And through this cracking, SpongeBob has developed an intense fear of, you guessed it, Krabby Patties. Krabby Patties. You know, since we're talking about fear, let's let's dive a little bit more into the subject of fear. Ooh, I quiver with fear. Since SpongeBob develops his fear of Krabby Patties in this episode, I felt like it was, you know, the right time to talk about other kinds of fears that you could have in this world. And for the captain, there's three kinds of different fears you can find yourself with. Probable fears, improbable fears, and internal fears. Now, a probable fear is exactly what it means. It's something that you have a fear of that you may have a probability of running into. It could literally be anything. There are those out there who have phobias of everyday objects. There are those out there who have phobias of animals that are out there in the wild, and sometimes that animal doesn't have to be anywhere near your region for you to have a fear of it. Uh, For me, in particular, I have a fear of tarantulas. Very specifically, tarantulas. I don't necessarily have an arachnophobia, which is the fear of spiders. I obviously don't want a house spider crawling on me, but I'm not going to run out of the room and light my house on fire if there's a spider in there. But if a tarantula walks into my room... Yeah, I had to check. If that happens, yeah, I might have to burn my house down, which would be absolutely insane for that to happen because of where I live in this world, tarantulas are not found in the wild. They can't, they can't exist out here. They can't live, which is great. That's why I'm not going to move anywhere else or unless it's just other parts of this area. Now, it's still a probable fear for me because I could still run into tarantulas in many other places. There are zoos around here that have enclosures for snakes and tarantulas and lizards and other animals of of that sort. There's aquariums that have enclosures of the same kind with tarantulas. There are pet stores around the area that sell them. There are also two friends of mine who have them as pets. I don't like to go into their homes, but these are moments where I could still run into one and still have that fear trigger. And that's just for me specifically. There are people out there who have fears of cottage cheese and must have a tough time doing grocery shopping, I I just got to say. But those are probable fears. Improbable fears are, you know, just like probable, just not as likely to happen. 
If you have a fear of polar bears and you live in Florida, that's what I would call a more improbable fear, you know, or if you have a fear of polar bears and you live in Australia, probably not going to happen out there too. Now, obviously, an improbable fear doesn't necessarily have to be animal-related. You could have a fear of falling off the Eiffel Tower and live nowhere near France. That would be an improbable fear. It's something that could happen, but the possibilities of it are slim to none. My improbable fear is getting swallowed whole by an animal. And I'm not talking about getting eaten alive by a tiger or a bear. I'd take that, no problem. But getting swallowed whole by an animal where you're still alive and you're inside of it, that's an intense fear of mine. And if you've seen Nope, you know what I'm talking about. No, it's just Chuck Testa. There was once this story I read of, of these guys out in Southern Africa canoeing or kayaking, and uh, they're out in a river, and a hippo comes out of nowhere and just takes out one of the boats, and it knocks the guys over in the water, and... The, the man who this happened to was writing the article. The hippo had swallowed him, <laughs> at least a decent portion of his body, trying to swallow his, his entire person. There was no way it, it could fully happen, but he had explained what it felt like being eaten by this hippo, and he was like, it's like, you know, being put in a sleeping bag and just placing that underwater. And reading that gave me such an intense fear, and I apologize if any of you out there have that thought in your head, but I want you to think about this. It's an improbable fear because where are you ever going to be in a situation where you're around hippos? Unless you are listening to this podcast and you live in an area where there are hippos and you never had that thought cross your mind and you are now thinking about a hippo eating you, I apologize. I firmly apologize about that. Hippos are adorable when they are babies, but they are legitimate monsters. I think there is no land animal that has a higher kill count of humans than the hippopotamus. Yeah, they have some sort of statistic on the amount of people they kill every year, uh, but it's not even that they do it for food. Mainly, it's a territorial thing, so if you find yourself near a territory that has hippopotamuses in it, just run. Just get out of there. Don't even mess with them. They're not cute and adorable, and they're nowhere near as nice as that one in the Madagascar franchise. When it comes to these phobias, you could most likely point to something in your past that helped attribute to why you have such a fear of it today. And I want to give you an example. I gave you all of my fears except for the internal one, and we'll get to that. Uh, but I gave you my probable and improbable fears, and it took me a decent chunk of my life to discover where those fears actually came from, and both of which can be traced back to the 1958 film The Fly, a sci-fi horror movie in which a scientist discovers the ability to transport matter from one place to another, using this machine. And when he tries it out on himself, a fly also gets into this machine and swaps parts of their DNA so that this man now has the head and arm of a fly. And let me just say, even though this has nothing to do with my phobias, the effects 
of this fly head and the arm for the late 50s is incredible and still holds up to this day. But at the end of the movie, after there are two detectives who have uncovered this grotesque horror show, they're outside sitting on this bench just contemplating everything they just went through, and all of a sudden, there's this subtle scream of of a voice. There's a voice coming out of nowhere, and it's screaming, help me. And they look over, and they see the fly with the human head now trapped in a spider's web. Now, even though it's the fly and it's not a real human, we are now placed in the horror of what it would be like from a human's perspective of being trapped in a spider web. And they make a giant spider for this effect, which helps to the fear specifically when it comes associated with tarantulas and also the fear of getting swallowed up by an animal. Both of them come from this one movie that I saw at five years old. Wow. Talk about trauma that takes a couple of decades to unpack. And even though I have the answers to that question, it still doesn't help really with the phobias. I just have lifelong phobias, and I'm sure if you have a fear of something out there, you could trace back to something that happened early on in your life. Either you were presented with the idea, or something physically happened to you, or something happened to somebody else, but it just helped attribute to the fear that you have. As far as internal fears, these are sometimes tougher to explain. It could take years of your life before you discover how it is you could explain a fear of the world that you have. And internal fears can be very deep, powerful, personal stuff to ourselves, and it may not be something that we have to necessarily share with others. For my internal fear, and this is real, this is my number one fear more than anything, I will take on a 10-foot tarantula who could swallow me whole in, in the face of dealing with this fear, But I have a fear of being on this planet for the amount of time that I have and not creating anything worthwhile. Something that'll have an effect on someone else later on down the road. That's that's what my ultimate fear is. You know, I'm self-critical on that. So I don't think I've already created that. And I think I'm still working towards that or working towards getting to that level where I'm a part of something that is worthwhile. But I have so much respect and love for those who have worked on countless projects, music, movies, television, video games, just entertainment. If you're a part of that process, a writer, a voice actor, an actor, a musician, I have so much love for you and love for what you've made that I want to continue that trend. I don't want to just be a consumer. I want to be a creator. So to spend this time on the planet and not create something that will have some sort of effect on someone down the road would be a big fear of mine. And to be completely honest, as long as I'm still creating and I'm still making something, I have no reason to really be afraid of that fear because I'm, I'm still creating, you know? You don't just make something and you're done and you never make anything for the rest of your life. That's just silly. You always got to continually create. You never know what you're going to find. Now, what SpongeBob finds himself with in this episode, and it's nothing to be afraid of, but it can happen, is a bit of sleep deprivation psychosis. And that is what happens when you just take sleep completely 
out of your schedule and you decide to stay up after a while, you're going to find yourself hallucinating or having delusional thoughts, which is what helps contribute to SpongeBob seeing all of these massive Krabby Patties that in general would fall into his probable fear category of of seeing a Krabby Patty. We we get that confirmed later on when Mr. Krabs actually just shows SpongeBob a Krabby Patty and he freaks out. The improbable fear would really be these Krabby Patties eating him. And I say improbable because it's a cartoon. It's not impossible. The writers can write whatever they want and whatever SpongeBob has to be tormented with and see is is what's happening in his world. The cartoon's hallucinations are as real as the cartoon itself. The next step of Plankton's plan is now in place. Now that SpongeBob has been properly exhausted beyond belief, it is time for the good doctor to step in, Dr. Peter Langton, a psychiatrist who has a specialty in those who have a fear of Krabby Patties, steps in to save the day. Wait a minute. Peter Langton... Is he? He's the P. Langton who called in that order for the 10,000 Krabby Patties, isn't he? Hey! And boy, did that plan work against his favor. Because although he exhausted SpongeBob beyond belief, SpongeBob now has a fear of Krabby Patties. Those are the last things he's going to want to talk about. Even though, as a part of therapy, you're going to want to unpack those traumatic experiences that you have and and learn how to cope with them moving forward. And that's what a therapist or a psychiatrist can help you do. That's that's ultimately why it's important to talk to somebody. It's not just being able to get something off of your chest and talk to somebody who's there to listen, but they're also there to help untangle those wires so that moving forward you could stop tripping over them, if that makes sense in a metaphorical kind of way. Therapy is a beautiful tool that anybody can pick up and use. And I know that there are those out there who keep themselves at an emotional arm's length to the world, but it it could just take that one person who gives you that one piece of advice that could help click everything into place. And and it's, it's wonderful. Everybody should experience some form of therapy in their life. And if you think that makes you seem weak in any way, well... You're the one who might be afraid of talking about things. So at the end of the day, where does the weakness lie? Don't don't feel weak in having to let somebody help you out because we're all trying to figure figure it out together. And I'm going to read this beautiful quote actually since we're just talking about life that I I read in this breakfast place. They had this on their napkin holder and it was a wonderful little sentiment. We are not all in the same boat. We are in the same storm. Some have yachts, some have canoes, and some are drowning. Just be kind and help when you can. I absolutely love that sentiment, and it's true. We're all in this same storm together, and there are those out there having a better time out in the seas than others. But think about that outside of the metaphor. If you were actually drowning and you needed help, You wouldn't stay silent in that moment. You would be loud and asking for it. So if you feel like you are feeling like that internally, then you got to ask for it as well. Never be ashamed. And all it takes is one session to know that you'll feel better. And I'm glad that SpongeBob was able to find some sort of sentiment here. Now, through all of 
Dr. Peter Langton's little efforts of getting out the Krabby Patty secret formula, it all led to SpongeBob not really participating. This kind of had a feeling of back at Welcome to the Chum Bucket when Plankton was trying to get SpongeBob to just create a Krabby Patty and SpongeBob just kept wanting to do something else or just kept finding other creative ways to get around what Plankton wanted him to do. For example, one of the processes of Plankton getting the Krabby Patty formula out of SpongeBob was to lay out a bunch of recipe cards, a bunch of cards out on the floor and didn't really lead towards SpongeBob at first to make the secret formula. He said, hey, put all these in any kind of order you want. And then he actually just moves right onto the demand of just putting the secret formula together. SpongeBob instead puts the cards together in the form of a piano, which is the second time a piano gets introduced in this episode out of nowhere and gets slammed on Plankton. I actually thought they were going to do it for a third time because you know the whole deal. Comedy comes in threes. But hey, I'm not going to complain when we get two piano gags in this episode. I'm, I'm a fan of the classics. If you take a pie or, or slamming a, a piano or a safe on a cartoon character's head, it's funny. And especially if you can find creative ways to continually do it to Plankton, it's even funnier. So eventually Dr. Langton gets to hypnosis, which I, I really don't have that much of an opinion on. I've been a part of hypnosis shows and it's a weird experience. There is certainly something to the effect of getting somebody completely calm and then being able to get them to do something. I really don't think there's anything beyond playful banter, you know? I've never seen uh, one of these shows where it goes off the rails and the, the magician or whoever is doing the hypnosis has the person do something completely out of left field. Like, could they get a vegetarian or a vegan to eat a hamburger under hypnosis? I... I would believe it a bit more if something like that were to happen or, hey, just walk directly off the stage and just have somebody do it without question. I don't think any hypnosis show has ever really gone off the rails like that. So I'm not sure as far as the true powers of hypnosis. I know that there are those out there who swear by it, and I'm sure for certain things and certain effects, it has a massive assistance and what you need but for this experience for Spongebob it's not that he really goes through any sort of hypnosis it's that he takes a nap and it's pretty obvious that you'd think after working for more than a thousand hours that it would just take a good night's sleep to get you to reset your batteries a little bit now it's during this nap that Spongebob has a dream that starts out absolutely horrifyingly he is caught up in a giant jellyfishing net by a giant Krabby Patty who then eats him whole. And it's inside of the stomach of this Krabby Patty that once the lights turn on, SpongeBob finds himself inside of his bedroom, where a giant Krabby Patty comes through his bedroom door and slowly makes its way to his bed where SpongeBob is in immense fear before the Krabby Patty starts talking. Mark Fight joins SpongeBob SquarePants uh, a comedian and an actor provides a bunch of different characters through these next few seasons, and he makes his debut in this episode as not only this Krabby Patty in this dream sequence, but also as an elderly man 
before when there was a montage over the amount of days that Mr. Krabs was uh, was opening the Krusty Krab or keeping it open. But he also appeared as Frank very early on in this episode in one of the funniest moments for me in SpongeBob history because it's just this dry moment of humor where somebody can just point out how silly Mr. Krabs is being. When Mr. Krabs first sees Plankton opening up for 23 hours, he acts so offended, and it's Frank who comes in just very nonchalant, like, yeah, like, who cares? It's like, what? Sure. I I don't know. Why not? Money's wrong! Okay, sure. And I remember that being funny as a kid, but I don't remember it being that hilarious. For some reason, this time around, that one line, the delivery of it, just the purpose of it being here in this episode. After three seasons of this show, yeah, it's time for somebody to kind of point some common sense to Mr. Krabs. I mean, even look at this situation. Who cares that he's open up for 23 hours? Your business is still going to do better. If you start seeing the chum bucket increase in business and it actually has an effect on yours, all right, increase the hours of the Krusty Krab. But it's Mr. Krabs and his his zealous nature of wanting to constantly overthrow Plankton at every turn that causes this entire issue in the first place. But I love what Mark was able to bring to these characters and coming back to this Krabby Patty. It's it's a wonderful little moment where the Krabby Patty that has been stalking SpongeBob throughout this episode finally stops and takes a moment to talk to him and lets him know, hey, I heard your brain was hurting. So I brought you this cookie pizza, which warms my heart because the cookie pizza is an incredibly underrated dessert. And I got to say the fact that the Krabby Patty would would bring SpongeBob a cookie pizza in bed. He has my heart. I I love the Krabby Patty. We also get an incredibly on-the-nose E.T. reference here where the Krabby Patty lets SpongeBob know that he's not always going to be in his mind He's always going to be in his arteries. And as he points to his stomach, he has a glowing finger. And the way that they have the the Patty's arm designed, it's very much like E.T. And uh, it's really hard for me to think of E.T. and then to not think of Stone Cold E.T. Because that's just the way my mind works. As SpongeBob comes back to work at the Krusty Krab, he lets Mr. Krabs know, hey, just needed some sleep, I needed some time away from this grill, and Mr. Krabs lets him know that he's not going to have to worry about being around the grill so much because he's not going to be working under the 24-hour schedule anymore. He's scaling it back to match the chum bucket at 23 hours, which just makes the two of them laugh as we end this episode. Fear of a Krabby Patty. And as we come to the close on this week's episode... It's nice to reflect on a little bit of what we've talked about. We talked a little bit about fears, some of the fears I've dealt with, some of the fears that you may be dealing with yourself out there. And and once again, that goes hand in hand with another thing we've talked about, which was therapy, something that SpongeBob went and found success in in this episode. Regardless on what Plankton says, therapy is a massive help to literally anyone who is willing to try it out. And it honestly isn't enough to just try it once with one person, and if it doesn't work out in that one circumstance for you to just give it all up and say never again, sometimes it takes a specific person that you're going to have to keep looking for. 
might not be only one person in the world. There's certainly going to be more than a few options that will be able to give you all of the help that you're looking for. But sometimes you got to keep trying people out until you find that right fit. And for those who go down that path and those who are continually going down that path, I hope you find that level of comfort, that calmness in your life that can help bring you true happiness out there. And don't let those fears get in the way of of you making great strides in this world in whatever you want to do. One of the biggest internal fears out there that a lot of people have is the fear of failure. It's, It's the main reason why a lot of people end up giving up on their dreams or they stop achieving the pegs towards that level of success they're looking for because they're afraid of failing at it. But if you still have that flame to move forward, you still have that drive, even if you have that fear, you got to take that ball and you got to move forward with it. Even when you have found success, that fear of failure may still be present, which is what I think the overarching story of this episode is. Too much of a good thing can ruin it sometimes. Too much of SpongeBob can ruin it sometimes. If you're working on SpongeBob, and even though you love your job, do you eventually get sick of it when you've worked on it so much? Maybe that's a a deep story that they were trying to tell with this episode, which is not uncommon for Nicktoons, for the staff behind the scenes to find ways to tell the stories of their lives that they're dealing with on the show they're working on. I would certainly look at Ren and Stimpy for one of the best examples of that. But maybe even the story of Fear of a Krabby Patty goes one level deeper. What if the staff working on this show that for five years now has been pumping out episodes and content from video games to t-shirts to merchandise, Spongebob has taken over the world, is too much of something going to have a negative effect on those out there? And I think the ultimate answer to all of this at the end of the day lies in the last few moments of, of this show, is that a break from anything good is going to be just as good as the thing itself. I have no doubt that there are those behind the scenes that thought some fearful thoughts with Hillenburg kind of taking a step back, but those fears were quickly quelled away with this first episode. Knocked it out of the park, and I am excited to continue the fourth season of SpongeBob SquarePants. Thank you for coming aboard, ladies and gentlemen. You have been wonderful, and thank you for being a part of the Ready Crew. As I have always said, it doesn't cost a dime to being a part of the Ready Crew. If you listen to this point in the episode and you're hearing me say this, you're already a member. And that's all you need to hear. If you want to reach out to Captain Eric, you can do so by emailing me at spongepodpodcast at gmail.com. That email address is completely open for the show. And you can email me any questions, comments, or if you are a SpongeBob fan and you're an artist, whether it's music or, or art, paint, drawings, and you would like some promotion, you can also email me there. I have no problem reading some stuff here out on this podcast. 
please check out my other podcast, This Week in Nickelodeon History, dropping every Sunday on most conceivable podcasting platforms. And at the same time, if you're listening to this, click in the links below and go over to the Captain Eric YouTube channel and click that subscribe button. It is the most direct way you can help me out as I reach towards 1,000 subscribers. That is my goal from this point to a year from now is 1,000 subscribers on YouTube. So even if you're a fan of the podcast and you just listen to the audio version, subscribe over to the YouTube channel as, as I make that race over to 1K. As far as other forms of social media, you can follow me over on Twitter at I'm Ready Podcast and over on Instagram at SpongeBob Podcast. If you are a user over on Twitch, you can follow my two Twitch channels, SpongeBob Podcast and The Captain Eric. Both are inactive at the moment. I'm just a follower of a few streamers, but once I get into the streaming space, those are going to be my main sources of streaming alongside YouTube. YouTube is definitely going to be the main source. So while you're over there, also click that bell for notifications so you can know anytime the captain puts something out. As far as Redbubble is concerned, all through last season, I didn't really update Redbubble at all. And I've mentioned that there is updated merchandise. Over the next few weeks, I am taking all of the drawings that I have accumulated up to the show thus far and moving them over to Redbubble. So if you are a fan of some of the drawings and creations that I've made on YouTube or any of the logos that you've not seen on Redbubble, within the next few weeks, those should show up as purchasable items. Now that is the most direct way to monetarily help out the show at the moment. One day I may have a form of donations for any fans out there who would like to help in the most direct way. But as of right now, if you would like to help in a monetary sense, Buying any sort of merchandise from Redbubble helps, even if it's a sticker. If you'd like to help without spending a dime, subscribing to the YouTube channel is the absolute best way that you can brighten my day. As always, and as I end every single podcast I produce, and to the thank of, of Paul, Paul, thank you. No problem. Please stay safe, be kind to one another, and come aboard again to another episode of I'm Ready. A SpongePod Squarecast. Now let me offer this as a rebuttal. Ah!